The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 575, for Sunday, October 18th, 2015. Uh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share your questions. We share your tips. We answer your questions. We share your cool stuff found. The goal, of course, being to learn several new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Linda at lynda.com slash MGG, where you get 10 free days of their try of their uh, awesome service. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com, where you can go and get all sorts of things, namely Docs, RAM, and hard drives. We'll talk more about that shortly. Barebones software at barebones.com. Makers of BB Edit for far longer than this show has been in existence. And Harry's, where coupon code SHAVE5OFF saves you five bucks off of your first order there. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in suddenly chilly, fearful Connecticut, this is john f braun hey john f braun so yeah we uh we had very nice weather uh all week as i traveled down to new jersey for the pmug meeting and then uh slowly made my way back to uh to new hampshire via connecticut and stopping by your place a little bit and we got to hang out but uh yeah the weather was not just sunny but also very um temperate i would say it wasn't hot but it was nice that's not the case anymore it's cold yeah, well, we had, um, I think, our first freeze event uh, last night. So good thing I got a new uh, boiler. <laughs> right. Um, and actually, there were a few snowflakes reported by many of my uh, Connecticut and Long Island and uh, New York and uh, friends. But apparently, you didn't get any. Uh, you, you didn't get any snow yet, Dave. And uh, I don't think so. I was. I've been inside. We're recording this in the evening on Sunday. Uh, normally we record in the mornings, but I had a rehearsal all day. So I have been actually in this room all day. Um, but if, if snowflakes came, there weren't many of them. And certainly I never saw them, uh, outside. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think we got anything, but who knows? Right. So, um, uh, quick update. So if you remember, uh, if many of you remember, I was having iPhone six S woes. I got one of the first batches out of the gate that I pre-ordered and suffice to say it was broken in that while the phone worked, it would not allow me to plug in my, uh, any of my lightning peripherals, anything past the basic charging cable and the battery would just deplete itself by uh, tens of percent an hour, which, uh, to me is not normal. That's not good. Yeah. So, you know, use the, uh, my support profile, did a chat. They said, go to the Apple store, which, uh, we have one in Trumbull, Connecticut. That is the, my favorite one so far because they are very nice there. Uh, and went yesterday to, uh, pick up my replacement. So I went there and they determined Dave using, uh, some sort of current meter. And they basically said, yep, there's something wrong here. It's uh, the, there's no current coming through one of the pins. And that's kind of a little joke for those that are electrical engineers. Um, he's like, yeah, it must be a short. Because when you have a problem with electrical <laughs> devices, it's always a short. <laughs> yeah, well, cold solder joint, short, some kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, so they swapped it out. 
very easy. Uh, you know, took the uh, SIM out of my old phone. We wiped it, you know, logged out of uh, iCloud, turned off my iPhone, find my iPhone and then wiped it. And then they gave me a brand new one, did a restore and everything is awesome. Awesome. So you restored from iCloud. Is that right? No, I did. Uh, I, I restored from a backup save to my computer, which okay, from what I understand is probably the preferred thing to do. I, uh, I don't have anything in front of me that proves this, but I believe there is more information stored from a local backup stored to your hard drive than one in iCloud, though I could be wrong. I don't but, uh, think, that, I don't think that's the case. What, what okay. will happen, the, what's different is, and, and this, I mean, this is probably not what you meant, but is all, it, it is true that um, when you restore locally from iTunes, it also, if you have the apps on your computer, it will restore your apps via USB instead of making you download them again from the store. Right. So that that is true, yes. But in terms of data, I don't believe there's any difference except iTunes backups are always encrypted, which means not only are they encrypted, uh, but encrypted backups store passwords and health data because they're encrypted. Unencrypted backups will not store your passwords or your health data. So if you've, if you've backed up to iTunes but have not enabled the... Uh, protect this pass this backup with a password box. And I'm, that's not what the box is called, but that's what it means. Uh, then you will not be restoring your health data, nor will you be restoring uh, your passwords. And that, that if you're someone who tracks your health data with your phone, that can be a very uh, rude awakening. I remember Allison Sheridan and I were texting back and forth when she had to do a restore several months ago. And realized, you know, she wasn't protecting her local backups with the password because she felt her computer was, you know, protected in another way and uh, and therefore was not getting full backups. So she had to restore from I from iCloud and then she was fine. So if you are restoring a password protected backup, John, then they have the same data. But otherwise, iCloud gets more. Hmm. All right. Well, are you are restored? you restoring password protected or no? Yes, I did. So when I created the backup i did choose the little radio button i think in itunes saying you know encrypt this please yeah and here's here's the password give it a password cool so and what was even more interesting um so you know hats off to apple um some things they uh, in the cloud they they get right <laughs> i didn't mean to take a swipe at them but i did sorry um but no after about a day the uh so on my support profile, you can enter the serial number of your device. And then, you know, if you want to choose to uh, execute a support maneuver like I did. Um, but after about a day, Dave, um, the serial number of the device in my support profile changed to reflect that I got a new phone. Hey, that's cool. So isn't that cool? Yeah. So they took care of that. You know, it has all still has all the same dates and stuff like that. So they recognize the fact that basically the old phone is, is uh, you know, going back for a postmortem. And I got the new phone and, and I guess I still have time to get Apple Care Plus if I choose to do so, which uh, last I checked, uh, I have to do within 60 days and, and I'm on the fence for that. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, John. I, um, oh, all right. I, well, because it's a because anyone who has recently updated their iPhone is con, is in the process of considering Apple Care Plus unless they have already made their decision to buy. I'm a, I've never bought Apple Care for an iPhone. and. My reason is 
I always have four iPhones going at any point in any given point in time. I usually have an extra because by the time we retire a phone, it's often not worth selling back. It's, you know, it, it, I would get, you know, somewhere in the 50 to hundred dollar range for it. And it's just not, it's it. I'd rather have that phone here ready to go. If something happens to one of our others and we need a backup phone. So that's, that's my, that's my backup. Uh, we have not lost an iPhone yet so that we haven't been able to get replaced. It hasn't been, you know, some sort of warranty issue and it's not cheap. You know, Apple care plus isn't cheap. It's now it's 129 bucks, right? For the six S's. And, uh, and it's just, uh, it's just not worth it. it to me. Less. No, okay. I believe I, it's, it's 129. It was 99 previously. And now it's, it's 129. So, um, yeah, so it's it's just I you know to me it's not worth it because I need to have it on multiple phones, and at some point we will have that that scenario where it would have saved us. Uh, but when we add up all the money we've saved, not having the um, insurance package, if you will, on every phone, then it it comes out and we we'll just pay for it out of pocket. That's that's the plan anyway. See how I feel. No, the no day I, I found happens. it. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I found something earlier where, where, where it was less. The, the other thing is that when I did purchase the phone, so the Verizon people, not that I blame them, but apparently Verizon also has a support plan. And they said, hey, would you like this? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. And it's probably similar, you know, accidental damage and yeah. all that great stuff. So, yeah. um, but again, I'm very pleased. The phone is working as it should. The battery life is what I would expect. And it's funny because Dave, I, I well, hang on. I want to, I want to rewind here. Are you, you are going to get Apple care or you're not. You said well, you were on the 60, fence. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. Well, I have 60 days within which to decide. I know. So I'm, I'm probably not going to okay. because I didn't have it on my five S I, I treated it well. I got a, you know, the Apple leather case. It, it, it suffered no mishaps. Um, under warranty. So I'm, I'm probably not going to, yep. though, as I mentioned to you, I did get it for my MacBook pro. Totally refurb, different. Yep. Because to me, a, you know, actually my logic may be kind of twisted here because to me, any portable device hmm. uh, that, that, that goes through, which in my humble opinion is probably above average potential abuse. You should probably get Apple care for, for something like a desktop. Eh. See, I, I, um, I feel like Apple care, it, it, there's a there, and I explained it, but there's a very specific reason I don't get it for my phones. Uh, I do get it for my desktops and laptops, and largely it's because those machines are difficult to repair, uh, especially right. right? You, you know, and 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 you can get it. Uh, LAComputer.com is the probably the best place to get Apple Care. Um, they they've always got it cheaper than than Apple does, and uh, I think I got it oh, for yeah. my. For my iMac, I mean, I you know, I have a Retina iMac, and I think I got it for like 125 bucks or something. I mean, it was just, you know, super cheap. So Oh, it, yeah, and I showed you. So the retail for Apple Care for my MacBook Pro is 349 and yeah. I got it for 244 for my yeah. like computer. So hats off to those guys. That's yeah. Great. And that also, you know, talking about, you know, Apple, you know, my support profile, it showed up almost immediately. Yep. I said, oh, yeah, now, you're, now your machine has Apple Care. Good for you. Yeah, you're good to go. <laughs> But yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I find it's worth it. And, uh, you know, it's as good a time as any to talk about the, the new IMAX that were announced this week. Um, Ooh, I don't oh. believe any of the 21 inch, I, the 27s may not have changed in this regard, but the 21 inch, 21 and a half inch uh, 
now Retina IMAX. They're 4K at, at 21 and a half inch. I don't think they're user serviceable at all. I don't think you can upgrade the RAM. I don't think you can upgrade the hard drive. So, um, you know, with that in mind, it's like, wow, you know, they're just not built to be serviced by us. And I fix it sort of agrees. So, uh, for a hundred and now 115 bucks at LA computer today for an iMac, it's pretty short money to have a three-year warranty on that thing. Now, this was interesting, Dave. So when I was at the Apple store, um, as I was wrapping up my, uh, my encounter, I talked to both someone that I used to work with in, in a past life. He was like, wait, are you John Byrne? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we used to work together at Pitney Bowes. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And he brought in his 2009 MacBook Pro because I thought, oh, dude, do you have the same machine as me? Because I brought my machine with me because I wanted to do the restore and make sure everything's great. And he brought it in for a problem with his trackpad. Well, you can probably guess what the problem really was. Because the tech at the Apple store brought out his machine and the battery. And dude, the battery was bulging oh. like crazy. Yep. yep. <laughs> He's like, that's your problem, man. He's like, you, you need a new battery. Now, it wasn't under warranty, so they, they, they wouldn't replace it. But the guy made some recommendations as where he could get a new battery. But yeah, so, um, so I'm totally pleased. Um, you know, again, I'm on the fence for the Apple Care Plus for the iPhone. Yep. I'm probably not going to do it. Cool. But the warranty service is, is great, as long as you have an Apple store near you, I think. And, and fortunately, I have several, um, Trumbull being the closest to me. So. Yep. Thanks, cool. guys. All right. We've got some, uh, some tips to go through here. So let's, let's do that. And we are going to do uh, a, a short Cool Stuff Found segment. John and I have seen lots of fun things in the last couple of weeks. So we're going to distill that down to, to you know, our, our favorite handfuls. Um, we'll do that before we wrap up here today. But uh, moving along on the show, I want to start with some tips that we got recently. Marco, uh, Marco actually had a question that he answered. And his question was, um, he wrote, this will make you think I'm totally crazy. But since I made a fresh install on my MacBook Pro, I've had to install all my software again. That makes sense. This is my latest problem is Logic Pro 10. It's not that it's not working. It's that it looks like GarageBand. And he sent us some screenshots and it's logic, but it's got the whole wood grain GarageBand view. And uh, I said, well, I said, I don't know. You know, I don't use uh, logic, so I can't launch it and, and tell you. And he wrote back a few hours later and he says, I got the answer. In Logic Pro 10, GarageBand or Apple introduced a GarageBand Pro mode slash UI to Logic. And it's a, it's made to to kind of ease the transition from from folks using GarageBand to Logic, and evidently that's the default view. And you can change it. Uh, you go into preferences and go into advanced and go to show advanced tools, and boom, it looks like Logic Pro again. Uh, evidently, when when he upgraded, it kind of inherited his Pro views because he already was a Logic user. But when you install it um, right out of the gate. It's got this garage band look. So thank you, Marco, for sharing that. That's a good tip for anybody that, that goes through these clean installs. There's always something when, it, when you do a clean install. So good stuff. Moving on to Langdon. Uh, Langdon says Apple changed the talking about in show 574. We were talking about Gmail on iOS, not authenticating. 
And he says, Apple changed the Gmail account setup process on iOS sometime in iOS 8 from a password stored on the device to the browser-based token authentication to support Google's two-factor authentication if you have it enabled. If the person who wrote in hasn't set up their Gmail account since this change, this person wouldn't know this. You have to delete and re-add the account to re-authenticate with the new method. And I don't believe it to be a bug that he's experiencing, but an enhancement. And it's true, although if... Um, if you had two factor authentication enabled, it would, uh, you would have created a, a device specific password for the previous incarnation of, of mail that did not support the two factor kind of built into it. And therefore it, it would just work, I would think, because your password is, is still good, but it is good to know that, that that change happened. So thank you, Landon. Good stuff. Any thoughts on that, John, before we, uh, before we move on here? We can blaze through these tips pretty quick. No, I have not had any Gmail anomalies uh, All right. as of late. Good. Well, that's good. Uh, moving on to Jason. Jason writes, uh, again, referencing show 574 when we were talking about the show inspector version or it, menu command in the finder as opposed to get info. He says, uh, Another reason to add the option key when using the command I combo or choosing get info and changing it with the option key to show inspector in the file menu is uh, that I often want to get info on multiple items, usually folders. And so many times I make the mistake of highlighting the group and then using just get info. The problem is that brings up a separate window for each item, but adding the option key only brings up a single window which combines the data from all the items. Several of you wrote in about this. Uh, Jason just happened to be the first. He's totally right. Um, if you want information on a group of files doing show inspector after highlighting them, we'll do that. And it's very handy to see like how big would all of these files together be? And it'll, it'll add all that up and, and do that for you. So thank you for that, Jason. Good, good stuff. Thoughts on that, John, before I, uh... Move us along. No. Okay. All right. Uh, and lastly, uh, for tips today from Damien, uh, way back in show 538, uh, he was listening, but had, had a good little tip that I love to share. He says, uh, we were talking about the terminal and he said, instead of looking up commands in a directory or folder that you have to find there, an, there is an even easier way to look up commands in the terminal. Whenever you, wherever you may be, you just type one or two more characters and then hit tab twice. This will bring up a list of commands that start with the character or characters that you just typed. And this is true. It's very, very handy. Um, this works with uh, file names as well. If you want to, uh, it's, it's called file name completion in the uh, terminal shell. And the tab key will either complete the file if you've typed enough characters such that whatever you're typing is unique. And if you haven't, uh, if you do tab twice, as uh, Damien suggests, it will show you a list of all of the things that match. And this is either for commands or files. So check that out. Like if, it, you know, if you want to uh, change to a directory that's, that's you know, uh, documents, you could say CD, which is change directory space, uh, capital D-O. And then that's all you need. Uh, actually, you'd need D-O-C because downloads in your home folder also starts with capital D-O. So capital D-O-C, tab, and boom, it'll complete documents. If you just do capital D-O and hit tab twice, it will show you both documents and downloads, and then you can you know, hit either W or C to keep going and, and, uh, and complete that. 
So it's a handy little thing in the, in the terminal. And it's one I use all the time, but I don't, uh, I don't think about it is the problem. So I'm sure you use file name completion in the terminal too, John, right? I do. And you were going to ask me if I had thoughts on this, Dave, mm-hmm. and I do. So you may be thinking I'm just dismissing you and just saying no. yeah, whatever. No. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But I do on this. So number one, uh, I believe this is actually a function of the shell that you are running. And some of you may be asking yourself, how can I tell what shell I'm running from the terminal? The shell is the program that processes your what you type in the terminal. And the best way I know, Dave, is you type PS, which is, uh, I think, process status. But at least uh, for most recent versions, including, uh, I, I would gather, the latest OS, or at least on my system here, Dave, it shows that I'm running bash. So that's swell. Hmm. But um, but I saw this too. So for example, I typed WH at the terminal and I did the double tab. So I did not know about this, Dave. And it showed a very short list. What, what is, where is, which, while, who, who am I, and who is, which I think is a pretty comprehensive list of all the important commands that begin with WH. So awesome. I like that. I really like that. Yep. Plus for file name. I, ha- I haven't used it for that either, but double tab. I'm, 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 I'm with it. It's handy. Really handy. All right, John, I, uh, I want to take a moment and tell everybody about our sponsors. That work for you? Works for me. Our first sponsor today is Linda at L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. That's where you go to get 10 days of access for free to Linda's awesome training videos. Learn HTML from a pro. Learn photography from a pro. Learn web design from a pro. Learn audio recording from a pro. Learn video editing from a pro. Learn motion graphics from a pro. Learn online marketing from a pro. Learn lighting from a pro. I can go on and on, and every topic I hit, I'll be able to tell you you can learn from a pro. That's how Linda works. You go online, you visit lynda.com slash mgg, you get your 10 free day trial started, and then you get to start learning. These courses are taught by pros, and not are they taught by pros, they are also produced by pros, right? The whole thing done by pros. So it's not just that you're getting some pro that put up their webcam and, you know, showed you a course on the, on the web that you can find in some corner somewhere. These are professionally produced videos that have chapters like you have here on Mac Geek Gab, right? They have course materials. They have transcriptions of everything that's said so you can follow along. If there's something you don't quite get. They have the video, which sometimes shows you the instructor. Other times shows you like a whiteboard that the instructor's drawing on. Or if you're learning software, the actual software, you get to see it right there. You got to check this out. Learn from pros. Lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. Sign up for a 10-day free trial and you get to learn something new each and every time you go there. Our thanks to Linda. It's doc time, folks, and that's what you're going to find at Otherworld Computing, MacSales.com. You need a Thunderbolt dock? They're the ones to go to. They've got this Thunderbolt 2 dock that's absolutely amazing. 
this thing's got uh, it's got five USB ports on it, right? Five USB three ports, one Firewire 800 port, one gigabit Ethernet, an HDMI port, audio input and output headphones and microphone all in this really sleekly designed dock. I mean, this thing is awesome. If you have a Thunderbolt port on your computer, this is the way to expand. You get real USB buses in this in this dock, right? It's not like you're just adding a hub. It's a real dock. And with Thunderbolt, you're plugged right in mainline into your motherboard. You got to check this out. You need a USB dock. You got a USB-C on your new MacBook. That's what you need. Other World Computing has a USB-C dock as well. Absolutely awesome. This thing, it, it's got the same cool look as the uh, as the Thunderbolt dock, right? Really sleek. This thing adds four USB ports to it, in addition, USB three ports to it, right? Uh, it's got a USB C port on the back to connect to the computer, and another one to connect to another USB C peripheral. It's got gigabit Ethernet. It's got HDMI. It's got audio in and out, and it's got an SD card reader, and that's right on the front, so you can easily put that in if you've got one of those new MacBooks. This is the way to do it. Got to check it out. Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. You can also find RAM, hard drives. They've got great prices on SSDs. It's a place where I always go to shop. You got to check it out. MacSales.com. Our thanks to Otherworld Computing. All right, John. Now let's go to some questions, shall we? I think, uh, I think Scott is a good place to start. Work for you? Yeah, I, I got a fish shake to, to go with this. Okay, all right. <laughs> so um, Scott writes, he says, in many of my contact records, there are two notations in the notes field, one each for iCloud note and for on my Mac note. And he showed us some screenshots of this. He says, I'm not sure when this started, but they've both been there for quite a long time. Only the notes that are categorized as iCloud notes sync to my iPhone and iPad and vice versa, which is exactly the way I'd want and expect it. The cards label shows both on my Mac and iCloud. Presumably, I only need the iCloud version, right? The same thing applies to my list of groups that I have on the side column. The same group names and entries appear under two categories, on my Mac and iCloud. How did my on my Mac note and group get there in the first place? Uh, is there a way to delete all of the notes categorized as on my Mac notes without going through hundreds of contacts individually? And will doing so prevent more notes and groups from appearing under the on my Mac categories? Or is there a different setting somewhere? My default account is set to iCloud in context settings and has been that way for as long as I can remember. All right. Uh, yeah, so you can. And this on my Mac thing is from, typically, it's from when you were not syncing your notes, sorry, your contacts to iCloud. So you, you have them in both places. Now, it's important to note that if you're syncing contacts with iCloud, you also have a copy of your iCloud contacts locally. But it's it's just a synced copy, if that makes sense. So you actually have two copies on your Mac, one synced from iCloud and then one that's just stored locally on your Mac. And that's what you're seeing here. So before you do anything, I highly recommend you go to the file menu, choose export and choose a contacts archive. That way it's going to export off all of your contacts to a file just in case the next steps blow things away. 
once you've got that done, I would just go through and highlight. If, if you go on the left in groups, you can highlight all of your on my Mac contacts and then just hit the delete key. And uh, it'll ask you, do you want to delete these whatever 327 contacts? And is the answer is yes. It will delete them. And once the last one is gone, the group will be gone too. And yes, this will prevent new things from being added on my Mac. And that, that should take care of it for you. Uh, it, it's, it's a little bit funky. So, you know, so we share. Right, John? F- funky monkey? It is a funky monkey. Context is. I'm going to tell you about a funky monkey, Dave, if, if I may. I, I, there's no better time than the present. And I say that emphatically. <laughs> yes. Well, here's my fish shake, Dave. So with many utility, Apple utilities, including contacts and calendar, which is where I ran into this, Dave, you will see various groups in the, in the sidebar on the left. Yep. Um, if you're an iCloud user, then you probably want to use iCloud because then you can share with all your devices and sharing is good in this case. Right. So here's my fish shake, Dave. So I noticed this. So I am absolutely certain I did not have any on my Mac entries before I upgraded my machines to El Capitan. Okay. All of a sudden, voila, I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden I now have on my Mac groups in my calendar. Or at least I did because I then nuked them, Dave. And I don't like to see them because here's the problem. Is that when you schedule something or when you make an entry um, in calendar or many other programs, there'll be a little pull down that will show a little color and it'll give you a visual cue as to where that item will be going. Here's the problem, Dave. So in my case, iCloud is colored green. Or iCloud Home specifically. So that is where that is the group. Each calendar is going to have a different color. That's right. Yep. Right. All right. Here's the fish shake at Apple. So what happened is as soon as I upgraded my machines to El Capitan, it then created a on my Mac work group. That's right. Guess what color it was? It was the exact same color as my iCloud Home. Guys, why are you creating a local storage group? that has the same color as something that is in iCloud. And I think that's deserving of a fish shake because visually I could not tell if I was entering something in iCloud or on my Mac. Now, the way you can solve this problem, and I did solve this problem, is you go to, or at least in contacts, or I'm sorry, in calendar I did this, is you right click on the on my Mac group and you say delete. That's what I did. But it bothered me because I had an entry, Dave, that, that um, I was certain I had made on one machine. And then yeah. I looked on the other machine because I'm like, well, I put oh, an iCloud just, because, just it because was the color, color was, yeah, yeah, you because the color was green and I didn't pay attention to the, uh, you know, if you click on the color, it'll then show you which specific group you're putting it in. Sure. But as far as I can tell, Dave, it created that new group. It used the same color as another existing group, which to me is a, 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 a fish shake. And I didn't see it on my other machines and I was ripping my, not ripping my hair out, but I was shaking my fist. Yeah. Like, the new, why, this, why, this why has happened here? This has happened. I, I, I know it happened to me with El Capitan. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it happened with Yosemite too, that when I did the upgrade, 
it creates a new local, a couple of new local calendar groups. So first of all, folks, John jumped us from contacts to calendars, uh, just so that we're clear. We were talking about contacts with, with Scott, but of course John takes, you you like to take everything and, and, and relate your stuff to it. So you jumped us to calendars and that's, Fine. I just wanted to make it clear that we're not mm-hmm. contacts does not do this in El Capitan, nor did it do it in Yosemite. But calendars does. And it's the same sort of issue, sort of, except you won't have events in two places, whereas you can have contacts that are matched. Um, and 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 contacts, just to rewind a little bit, is actually really smart about this. If you have uh, if you if you sync with Google contacts, which you can set up either in Internet uh, accounts, which is in system preferences, or you can add it. Uh, you can start that process by adding it right in contacts, preferences, accounts, uh, or you add Facebook. It will actually merge. It'll do its best to sense which contacts are the same. So you can have somebody's Facebook data and their Google data linked to your iCloud contact. And that's when you'll see those various um you know, uh, different notes and, and hopefully you won't see on my Mac notes cause you don't really need on my Mac anymore. If you're syncing with iCloud, if you're not, then you do need on my Mac. So it's a little different with, with contacts versus calendars, but, but to address your issue, John, yeah, it, it creates that the new version of calendars creates a work and home, I believe is what it calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, two separate new calendars. And you just need to delete those calendars. If you've been syncing with iCloud, because otherwise you might have calendars either with the same color or the same name that just get confused it, when when you're selecting things and you might put something in like you did, you know, a non uh, a non uh, iCloud, you know, uh, category for lack of a better. Term. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So a general caution. Yep. Um, yeah. Is when you're using any, I would say any cloud-based service whether it be because right now so i'm looking and i'm going to talk about calendar because that, that that's where i see a lot of things so, so calendar i have three groups dave i have icloud i have facebook because you can tie facebook into your calendar and then other which is kind of irrelevant here but you want to be careful again and maybe keep an eye on these i mean normally they should always show up in the sidebar but just keep an eye out if you see a on my mac group all of a sudden appear I would say for most people that want to sync their entries, whatever they be, be they calendar notes, contacts or whatever, just be careful that you don't accidentally store them locally on my Mac because it's probably, I would say in most cases that were almost all cases, not what you want is that you want to share all of these things. Though you may not, there could be a good reason that you only want to have, uh, a note, a calendar, whatever service, and there are a number of services that you'll see if you go to the uh, internet accounts. Uh, there may be a reason you want to only store it on one machine, and that, that that's fine. But I, I would say for most people, like me, it, it took me by surprise. Because yep. again, I, I stored something. I thought I was storing it in the cloud, and I wasn't. I was storing it locally, and, and it caused me much grief and, and sadness. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad, topic, you got, I'm glad you got to tell that story, John. All right. Me too. Moving on to Andy. Uh, Andy writes, I have a problem that's been around for a while through different iOS versions, and I have just put up with it and ignored it. When I send or reply to an email using my uh, at me.com address on my iOS device, the mail is sent to the recipient, but it's also added to my own inbox. I dove into the advanced settings in mail, assuming that the mailbox behaviors setting were set up incorrectly, 
but all looks good. Sent messages are supposed to be stored in the sent folder on the server. If I delete the account from my iOS device and start over, the same thing happens. My iPhone 6 Plus and my iPad Mini are both now using the latest version of iOS, and this problem persists. Any ideas? So I do have some ideas, but I am going to throw this out as a geek challenge. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, folks. If you have thoughts, feedback at MacGeekab.com is the place to send them, please. Uh, Dave, did you say feedback at MacGeekab.com? My goodness, John, I did say feedback at MacGeekab.com, and that's the place to send in your thoughts. That's right. <laughs> um, my initial thought is that we it sounds like you've ruled out the devices, at least individually, from doing this. So if it's not the devices, perhaps... Just perhaps it's the server, right? iCloud in this case. With that in mind, I would say log into iCloud.com and visit the mail portion and then choose the settings icon, which is a little gear in the lower left. Look specifically at general mailboxes, save sent messages in and make sure that somehow it's not set to save things in your inbox there. Also check rules in uh, in the settings to make sure that you don't have some rule that says add this to my you know inbox. I mean I, anything's possible, right? The other there is a setting in Mail on the Mac that um, in uh, in Mail preferences composing where you can automatically CC or BCC yourself. I don't believe that that exists on iOS. So I'm not convinced that that would uh, that that would be the case because you're, you're kind of seeing this across the board. So I don't think it's auto CCing you, but actually there is an option in mail contacts and calendars. If you go into uh, iOS settings, mail contacts, calendars, there is the always BCC myself option there. So it's possible that's set on all of your devices because maybe those settings sync across. So that's another thing to try. But in on your Mac, um, again, in, in uh, mail preferences composing, you can choose to automatically CC or BCC yourself with a checkbox there, too. So uh, that's that's kind of my thoughts. Is there anything else that might be installed on your Mac that's doing this? It's got to be on some computer that's online all or mostly all of the time. Otherwise, this just wouldn't be happening regularly, which is what makes me think it might be the server I don't, there's no real, other than those two, there's no real settings on iCloud that would do it. But those well, are, those are my be. thoughts and I throw it out as a geek challenge. John, what do you think? Don't throw it out. <laughs> Recycle it, if anything. There you go. <laughs> the only thing I saw, Dave, when I was looking through the preferences in iCloud mail is that if you go to iCloud general, there is a mailboxes setting and there is a save sent messages setting. Isn't that what I and just normally, said? Oh, maybe you did. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I guess I was distracted. Okay. Before, uh, All right. Yeah. General mailbox is same set, save sent messages in. Right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I was researching while you were talking. That's okay. So no, but, that. they, but, but um, typically the inbox isn't listed there. Right. So, uh, you well, know, I, it's not an option is, for me. Well, mailbox. I see a mailbox entry and I'm wondering if that maps to the inbox. Yeah, maybe. Somehow. Yeah, maybe. Okay. But yeah, the, 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 uh, we've covered it in the past, but the thing is, if there's any rogue server or client 
and I guess that's the point here is that it could be a rogue server or it could be a un it could be a server setting that you either forgot about or maybe just it happened. I mean, these things happen. Right. They're computers, right? Right. I mean, they're, you know, they're evil. <laughs> Skynet. Yeah. So um, there could be a setting, uh, it, and, and it can be painstaking to find this, to find the one computer of all your clients and servers that is redirecting your mail to a place that you don't want it to go. So, okay. Sorry about that. But, no, um, it's okay. But I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, John, you want to take us to, uh, to Ernie? Ernie, I want to make sure we go to the right Ernie. So, um, if you can vamp for me here for a bit. Okay, no, I got, I, I think I do have the right Ernie. So Ernie had a very interesting question for us, and I think we have an answer. So Ernie said, hi guys, under Yosemite, I loaded up the SF fonts, SF I believe being the San Francisco fonts, from the developer portal. Occasionally, I'd see some weird non-rendering fonts otherwise known as the square boxes, in dialogues. I'm now running El Capitan. I assume the developer portal fonts are still in use because I never remove them. I'd like to revert to the system fonts in El Capitan and not the developer portal versions. Do I assume that when I upgraded to El Capitan, everything was set right in the world? I would say probably not. <laughs> I currently have SF text and SF display installed in user home library font and my system fonts look like the attached image and we can't show you that but um i think that helped us out here several indicate they're off not sure what this means i'm running an imac late 2013 i don't think that really has any impact on this any thoughts so you had a thought dave or at least some input saying that you didn't have sfns or system font on your el capitan machine either you did have San Francisco display, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't have, and I, and you know that that's as it is on both of my El Capitan machines, right? So you're throwing, you you you're just trying to mess me up here. Thanks. Sure, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> All right. So um, but here's a, here's an option that I haven't used in a while, Dave, but I think is very useful, and I submitted this solution to Ernie. So if you use Fontbook, Fontbook, for those that don't know, is a utility. I believe it's in the application utilities folder. Maybe you can check that for me, Dave, but I'm pretty sure that's where it is. So Fontbook is a is probably the best Apple-provided utility, or I think it's, only, it's the only Apple-provided utility that lets you check out your fonts. And it can let you not only examine them, but it can, it can do some scanning, look for damage, things like that. But in this case, if you want to get back to a pristine state there is an option in fontbook and what you want to do is you want to go to fontbook the file menu and there's an entry restore standard fonts i don't know about you but that sounds like exactly what ernie needs um and it warns you which is good so the thing is it doesn't you know kind of we talked in the past sometimes you think that the os wipes things out and you know uh, obliterates them no it doesn't so if you do this, what it should be doing for you is restoring, again, what is the standard font complement that comes with the OS that you're running. And then it, sho it shovels all the non-standard fonts into a folder called Fonts Removed. Oh, okay. So in it doesn't just bring delete them. them back. Yeah. So it basically does a nuke, uh, what I would call is a nuke, a baby nuke and pave. So it does a nuke and pave of your fonts and anything it finds that it doesn't like, 
it puts it in this fonts removed folder. Because in you may have, whether it be Microsoft or, or I don't know who it is, but you may have fonts that are not part of the standard complement. Well, it's not going to obliterate them because that'd be just rude. It puts them in this fonts removed folder. And you can drag them back if you want to, but at least it gets you into a state or at least a known state. Huh. And that's all I got to say about that. I so like, if, if you I, have, if you have font woes, I would say restore standard fonts is, is exactly what you need to do rather than reinstalling the OS or, or some silliness. Cause actually I think reinstalling the OS probably isn't going to help you. It's just going to reinstall the same fonts and leave your old ones there. It'll inherit what's there. You know, I um I feel like as you as you describe this and uh, by the way font book is just in your applications folder it's not in utilities but it is okay yeah but it, as you describe this I'm thinking if it's not deleting things and it's nicely putting these fonts in a fonts removed folder I'm I'm wondering if I just want to do this as a matter of course simply because I have a machine that I've upgraded through several OSs and maybe uh it's not a bad idea to have it kind of start fresh with the fonts that we know are there and then bring back, the, you know, I can easily bring back the ones that I want to bring back, but I probably have some fonts that I don't care about anymore, you know, and I can just archive those off and be good to go. This, uh, this might be a good thing you found here, John. Right. Cause we've had questions in the past, especially Microsoft. So Microsoft has their own yeah. fonts and I think they still do. And, and that, that's fine. Right. That's good. Because they, 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 you know, they have to support multiple platforms. So, so I, I won't, I won't shake my fist at Microsoft for doing this. Right. Because again, you may want to have cross-platform. Again, the more fonts you have, and especially if the names are similar or the IDs are similar or, or whatever happens, you, you get what we just heard. You get the symptom where you see a dialog box and it has little squares, maybe with some mysterious, you know, scribbling within them. And you're like, oh, now what? <laughs> so, there we go. Restore standard fonts will will make your life better. I'm I'm almost certain. Yeah, yeah. I might. I don't know. I'm thinking about, it, especially on my laptop, where it's been a while since I've done a you know a clean build. All right, that's Probably, good. You got some cruft. I, I bet we both have some cruft there, Dave. Yeah, and this. I mean, I I like this concept of a targeted nuke and pave. Right. I mean, it, it, I, I kind of wish that I'm wondering where else I would want that. Right. And I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure I can think of a place, but font certainly seems like it. Huh. And I would say I would say for, for most average users, this is probably something to do now for, for those of our listeners. And I'm sure there are many of you that are into graphic design and doing, you know, sophisticated page layout and stuff like that. This may not be for you because right. you probably have a boatload of fonts that you've purchased or acquired over the years that you don't want to obliterate. But, yeah. Um, huh. I like it. It's good. Uh, John, I want to uh, take a moment and tell folks about our second round of sponsors for this episode. Indeed. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Harry's makes me enjoy shaving and I'm stoked to have them as a sponsor because they have taken the process of going and buying all of your shaving supplies and moved it to a geeky place, a convenient place for those of us that enjoy geeky stuff. And that is online. You visit harrys.com and they, you can get all your stuff and you can start. If you don't have anything from Harry's yet, you can start with one of their great little kits. They have 
their sets start at 15 bucks. The Truman set for 15 bucks comes with a handle. It comes with three blades. It comes with awesome, either foaming shave gel or this really like silky cream that I really like. I actually like both. There's times when I use their shave gel and times when I use their cream. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And that sets 15 bucks, but that's 15 bucks for everybody else. Not for you. You get to save. This is going to sound crazy. You get to save five bucks off that price, right? So the Truman set costs you 10 bucks. That's it. They ship it for free. You save the five bucks by using coupon code shave five off. And that's it. 10 bucks. And you've got that in your hands. If you want a metal handle, well, move up to the Winston set. The list price on that is 25 bucks, but you know, you can shave five off with that coupon code. 20 bucks shipped for free to you. This is how it works. You got to check this stuff out from from Harry's. It's absolutely fantastic. Really high quality stuff. Way cheaper than you're going to get for this quality in the store. And you don't even have to go to the store. So check it out. Harry's.com coupon code shave five off. That's shave the number five OFF. And you are going to enjoy shaving as much as I do. Our thanks to Harry's. Barebones software has been making awesome software since longer than you've been listening to this podcast. And I guarantee that because their company is older than this podcast is. And we're pretty old, right? I mean, we celebrated our 10th birthday this year. Barebones dwarfs that. And the reason they dwarf it is because of how great their products are. BB Edit, their flagship product, text editor. I know it sounds crazy to get excited about a text editor, but I do because of how awesome BB Edit actually is. You've got to check it out. Barebones.com where you can download a free trial. BB Edit lets you do all sorts of things. Now, BB Edit is in version number 11, which adds some fun stuff, adds some syntax coloring, which you can customize. Uh, you can also pick some themes that they have, schemes, they call them, color schemes. Has Git support for version control, meaning that it will do- interface directly with your version control system. Really fantastic to be able to kind of keep all that managed properly. Uh, it's got a great new user interface for one of my favorite features, which is find differences. BB Edit allows you to take two versions of the same document, pull them up, And compare them. It pulls them side by side. And then at the bottom shows you a little view that has a list of every line that has something different. When you highlight each of those lines, it moves the files to that location, highlights the line and even highlights the changes in line right there. Makes it super simple to compare documents. You've got to check this out. Barebones.com is where you're going to go. BB edits what you're going to download. Take a free trial, check it out, and I'm sure you'll go back to buy. Barebones.com, our thanks to Barebones. And now, John, as I promised, it's time for Cool Stuff Found. This will be an an abridged Cool Stuff Found segment. Obviously, we're not starting it at the beginning of the show, and we might even have time for some some additional questions uh, that we've got queued up as, uh, as things progress. But this is only limited to things John and I have actually touched and seen. Uh, and we wanted to share with you, uh, we'll do another cool stuff found segment, at least one more 
before the holidays are upon us. So, uh, so John, why don't you kick this one off for me? I don't want to kick something. It's violent. I'm going to kick it off, Dave. So we went to the Get Geek event. Yep. And I ran into a company which I I must admit I, I think you've had more exposure to them than I ha- that I have. But um, Twelve South. Oh yeah. And they had a number of cool things, and actually they're going to send some even cooler things I think out to me, which uh, um, we'll talk about in the future here. But they actually gave me one of these, and Dave, this is just brilliant. I think. Um, and it's called the Plug Bug World. So what does that mean? And I'm going to tell you what that means. So it is a device. So say you have your standard Apple charger. All right. Well, you know, I've actually done this in the past, Dave. So in the past, a- Apple charger Apple for still- your, for your MacBook for for your laptop. This is because we covered, we covered this in uh, 462 when I first got one of these things, right. but, but it's been a while. It's, it's, it's good to, it's good to bring it back. Right. I just, just wanted to make, make sure we're clear on that. It's for your okay. laptop, not yes. your iPhone. Yeah. So this is a MacBook charger. Um, you know, the square deal. Which, which is very nice. You know, it has a way to wrap your cord around it and it, you know, it's nice and flat. So it plugs into a power, you know, power strip and not being a pain in the neck here. But here's the problem, Dave. And I've actually run into this when I traveled in the past, when I went to, uh, I was in Paris a number of years ago. The thing is, um, unfortunately, many power devices um, do not accommodate foreign. Uh, the thing is, the world's a mess, Dave. <laughs> Everybody's got a different plug, so they have different voltages, different frequencies. And while the Apple charger can accommodate a lot of changes, the one change it can't accommodate is that the plugs are different. So Apple sold, and I actually bought a number of years ago, Apple had a handy-dandy little um, world charger kit, which was basically different uh, plugs that you would basically plug the Apple adapter into, and it would then let you adapt... um, so, so kudos to Apple for making a charger that can adapt to different frequencies and different voltages. But the thing is, they don't offer you out of the box the, uh, the, the plug. Well, the plug bug world does. So basically, you slide off the top of the Apple charger, and then this gives you a replacement that you slide back onto your Apple charger. But also within that, Dave, is a tip that not has only the U.S., the, you know, the boring old you know, two-prong U.S. thing, but it has, I believe, not one, not two, not three, not four, I believe five optional chargers. And it will let you adapt to um, the electricity used in the UK, UK, continental Europe, Australia, New Zealand, North America, Hong Kong, Singapore, China, Japan, and many other places. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, but not only does it do that, Dave. But it only, but it also makes your adapter, your Apple adapter, with this product, of course, it gives it a USB port with 2.1 amp charging, which is the high-speed charging that many devices uh, optimally you would like to use. So I just thought this was just a cool integration of both adapting to world travel, but even if you're not going to world travel, Dave. It gives you a 2.1 amp charger along with your Apple charger, which I think is cool. And the retail on this is $44.99. Nice. But it's not, it's not a charger, right? I mean, it, it, it attaches to your existing Apple charger, correct? It doesn't have its own well, it charger. Has, I'm, it. I'm sorry. It has a USB, a 2.1 amp USB 
port that can act as a charging port. Right. But for your MacBook, you have to take your your MacBook's power plug off of it and pl- and and slide your MacBook adapter into this in order to use this to charge your MacBook. Correct. Well, it uses your existing MacBook charging brick. I don't know another so way to say it. That's correct. Right. Right. You, you, you have to take the, the little nub off of your existing MacBook charger and this slides onto that. And then that's what you that's what you use. Correct. Right. OK. Yes. Yeah. So this so this this makes your MacBook charger both world compatible and it adds a 2.1 amp USB charger to it. So it. Um, yeah. So it gives you world. Uh, world compatibility yeah. and it gives you charging ability where you did not have it before. And again, I think for forty or forty four ninety nine, that's because uh, from what I recall, the last I paid for the Apple kit, just the kit alone with the optional plugs, uh, I think was about that or maybe more. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Apple's kit is now I think twenty nine bucks to add. I mean, it doesn't add a USB port, but it adds the um, well, what do they call it? It's the I'll find it. Hang on. It's the Apple travel adapt world travel adapter kit for 29 bucks. And it comes with five. Yeah. Five um, uh, adapters. Right. So North America, which which is what you and I have, but not everybody has Japan, China, UK, Europe, Korea, Australia, Hong Kong and Brazil. Okay. All right. So I think the Apple kit gives you the equivalent, but this gives you for 20 bucks more. Um, you get a uh, USB uh, high current USB charging port as well. Yep. So I like it. No, I, I have one of these. I've had it for a couple of years and I keep it. Uh, it is the travel charger that I have because it's really nice. Even if I'm not traveling outside the U S it has a, the USB port on it. So you plug this into one outlet and you've got both, um, which is great. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of listening to music as I'm sure many of you are aware and Grain Audio uh, has started making a fantastic set of earbuds. I when I listen to music, which is different than when I'm on stage and have I have I wear headphones or earphones on stage for in ear monitors. Uh, those are different. But when I'm just listening to music, I actually like to have a speaker in my ear, and that means having a dynamic driver in the earbud. Years ago, I found a piece of uh, or a set of headphones from Future Sonics called their Atrios, which I don't believe they make anymore. Single driver per ear, which is what I like. Single dynamic driver and really warm, full sound. I haven't been able to find anything that was in. I think they were about one hundred and thirty bucks. Well, Grain Audio now is making their own earbuds. The reason they call their company Grain Audio is every product includes truly solid wood in its design. And these do, they, they have a little wood ring as part of the housing of the ear of the earbud. And it, it, I, they say it helps the sound, whatever it takes to get to the sound they get. It's great. Uh, it's a really warm sound. The first place I tried them out was the same event that John mentioned the other night. I've since tried them out here at home. These things are fantastic. I, I mean, I had like a moment in, in, at this event the other night where it sort of transported me to another place. This music, the, the, these are very musical earbuds and they're 99 bucks. So we'll put a link to those in the show notes, but, uh, but crane audios, uh, they call them the I E H P in ear headphones, but, uh, for 99 bucks, you're not going to get anything better. I haven't heard anything better. That's for sure. And actually I haven't heard anything this good. That's currently for sale for 99 bucks either. So, uh, 
I, I would put these up against, you know, $500 headphones, uh, certainly for listening to music. These, these, uh, would be right at the top of my list. So you got to check them out. Grain audio, uh, I E H P's John, what's next on your list? I'm going to mix it up a bit. Okay. We'll talk about more power related things, but I think the next thing, Dave, I'm going to talk about here and you thought it was a repeat, but it's not. Um, say you, we all lose things and that's terrible when you lose things. Say you want to find them again. And I've covered a, a product in the past that has done this called the tracker. Um, but then at a recent show, Dave, you know, that we've been hanging out at, um, I ran into something new and I would say I like this better. I, I won't say I don't like the tracker, but I would say I like this new device more because I think they've refined the concept and it's called tile. Now don't go to tile.com because as you can imagine, boy, that's a rough <laughs> domain to get a hold of. And actually I tried that at first when I was like, yeah, let me look at the webpage for these guys. And if you go to tile.com, it's a tile company. Um, but it's www.thetileapp.com. So what is this? This is a Bluetooth device that basically lets you find your stuff. So uh, it's Bluetooth. It's battery powered. Uh, and you basically attach it. So it's a square. Uh, has a little hole in it so you can attach it to your things. And then it has a button on it. And then you combine it with either an iOS or an Android app. And there's also a web interface. And so a lot of features here. So one thing that it does, and I was just actually using it today, Dave. So um, I asked for two. They only sent me one, but that, that's okay. But I'd like to use it with multiple devices here. So what I did, Dave, is I put it in my car. So what it does is combined with the app that you have to run on your iOS or Android device, it will basically determine the last location. Um, of your device. Now, if you want to find it, now this is one area where I like it better than the alternative is that the alternative. Um, so you can take your iOS device running the app and say, find the device and tell it to uh, let me know where it is. This device has, from what I looked at a 90 DB uh, beeper. Wow. Some of the other devices, the, the problem I had with them is that you couldn't hear them. If you said, hey, tell me where you are, if they were in a coat pocket or something like that. This thing, it's pretty hard unless it's hidden some really hidden somewhere. It's really hard to not hear it if it's within hearing range. So number one, you can tell the device to call out to you. Number two, it does in the background. And from what I can tell, especially with my new phone here, very efficiently, it pings the device until it gets out of range, which they say is 100 feet, I would say that's conservative. It may be longer. It's Bluetooth, right? So you're sure. talking to, you know, 100 feet or so. Um, but it'll show less location. But here's some of the cool parts of it that I like. So number one, they have, similar to other products, they have a network. And I, I think the thing is, Tile, you can find this device in a lot of places. You can order it online, 25 bucks uh, per device. So the price goes down, as with many things we'll talk about if you buy a whole bunch. Um but they have an app. And here's the cool thing. When you run the app, Dave, it tells you how many other tile users are nearby. When I ran it here in Connecticut, uh, in Fairfield, it said there were 150 other tile users within range. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important because say that you are out of range of your tile and you lost your stuff. Well, anybody else that is part of the tile community and is running the app, um, if you say your tile is lost, they can also... And they will also be scanning for it. So you're all part, part of kind of one big 
happy family of tile people all helping each other out. Um, another thing you can do. That's is, pretty cool. It is. And the other guys do this too, though. I, I would say tile, uh, from so what I can tell the tile network, network, number yeah. one identifies how many, and, and when I use the other product, the uh, tile identifies how many people near you are, are running tile. So that's good. Um, but number two, here, here was the thing that I liked as well is now they have a fun, uh, the, the thing is they do have, so they have iOS and Android. They do have a find my iPhone functionality, which is kind of redundant. So, so that didn't really thrill me, but then here's the other fun part of it is if you have the tile, so it has the words tile on it. It only comes in white right now. Um, but the E on the tile is actually a push button. And if you're in range of your phone and you hold and you uh, double and you tap twice on the E on the tile, it'll make your phone create a loud blaring noise. So if you, if you have your tile, like maybe on your keychain or something, and you lost your phone and you're within range and want to find it, that's kind of cool too. Huh. That is cool. cool. So I am. So I think tile is a, is a nice entry into the I lost my stuff. How do I find it? Uh, uh, market. And Alex and, uh, Santos in the chat room says it'll do that. It'll ring your phone even if your phone's muted, which is a very cool thing. A lot of devices do that. The thing is, yeah, the, the, the mute setting on the iPhone is fluid. Malleable. Yes. Uh, mal- I was going to say malleable, but I didn't want to want to fumble it. But um, yeah, the thing is, uh, for things that need to or want to, and you know, you have to trust the developer <laughs> sure. has good sense here. I mean, in that case, even if my phone is on silent, I would want, if I, you know, double click on my tile, I'd want my phone to say where it's at. And it does very loudly. I'll tell you that it works great. So, so I think this has a number of very cool features, um, especially I, I like the uh, it's not unique. You know, I, I don't think they were the first to do it, but the whole community angle uh, in that if anybody else running the tile app or as part of the tile community comes near something that you tiled and you said is lost, it'll tell you where it is. That's cool. That's cool, man. Awesome. Yep. Hey, uh, you know, I've been traveling a bunch this week and my uh, I, I realized something when I uh, was in hotel rooms and that's that I don't like to have to deal with plugging things into the wall. Uh, you know, a lot of times I find that if I want to charge my phone next to the bed, uh, I've got to like dig and move the dresser to plug in a charger and deal with all of that crap. It's fine. You know, plugging something in over on the desk in a hotel room is great because there's usually plugs there and I can plug stuff in, but I might want to have my phone or certainly my watch next to me while I'm sleeping. Right. Cause that's maybe that's my alarm or whatever. And I want to have it right there. Pain in the neck to plug stuff in. Well, there's a solution to this. And the solution is to simply use a battery pack next to your bed. And if you're in the hotel room for multiple days, you can use the battery pack during the day next to the bed and then go and put the uh, battery pack on charge on the desk during the day. And it works out great. Uh, my favorite new battery pack is the Anchor Power Core 2100. That's two, uh, sorry, 2100, 20100. Yes, it's a 20,100 milliamp hour portable charger. Uh, it's fantastic. It's got two USB ports on it. Uh, you can get it for 40 bucks from Amazon. It's uh, it can do uh, I'm trying to think it can do oh, both. Each port can do 2.4 amps. So you you can charge an uh, two iPads from this at full speed simultaneously. 
and it's got enough juice to basically charge two iPads, you know, uh, pretty much to, uh, to, to completion, right? From zero to, to a hundred. You got to check this thing out for 40 bucks. Anchor is a company that makes some fantastic stuff. Uh, really, really, they really know what they're doing. They've, they've sort of figured out the whole power thing and, uh, and, and gotten it to where they can auto sense, whether it's Apple or, um, or, uh, Android, you know, and, and Android and Apple need different things to go up to that 2.4 amps. They, they call it power IQ at anchor, but, uh, but they, they figured it out. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's, it's great stuff. Additionally from anchor, uh, if you need something on the desk, they have both five and 10 port chargers. You plug a single plug into the wall and they've got either, you know, well, actually I guess six now is what, what their thing has, but it's, I've been using the PowerPoint 10. So it's got tons that you can have over on the desk there. You can plug your iPad in, you can plug your battery in during the day. Each port can go 2.4 amps with eight amps overall on the 10 amp one. It's great stuff. So anchored anchored. They understand power. They know what they're doing. And I'll tell you what, just simply having whatever brand it is charger next to the bed, you know, battery pack rather next to the bed. It, it changed my life this week dealing with, cause I was not only staying in hotels. I was in, I stayed at John's house one night. Uh, although John, of course, being a geek, he understands what his guests are going to need. So he's got, a power strip with two USB ports right next to where the bed's <laughs> going to be, which was awesome. I didn't have to use you my actually battery. use those. Of course I did. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. I didn't have to use my battery pack, but, um, but, but of course, you know, it, I stayed at another friend's house one night and uh, at the hotel in that other friend's house, I didn't even bother digging around for, you know, where, where the outlet might be. I just used the battery pack and it's great, you know? So, uh, so that's, that's my, that's my advice for, for all of you. What do you got, John? What's next? Okay, and that was actually a. Uh, I'll find the link to that too because that's one that they gave me. But I believe that's a that was a Bits Unlimited uh, smart power strip. So it has you know active on, active off, and then two charging ports. Which I'm I'm so glad somebody actually used those. Oh besides yeah, me. I, I went to get my battery pack and I saw them there on the floor. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So I just plugged my cables into that. Yep. All right. Speaking of power, um, you know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna deviate a bit here. Speaking of lighting, Dave. So you were here. So yeah. I like my guests to be safe and not trip and hurt themselves and sue me. <laughs> Though I doubt you do that. Cause that's, cause if, that's if what guests were. are for. That's right. <laughs> to sue you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we saw these guys. So here's one product. I'll, I'll mention another in the past here, but Dave, I just thought this was a unique approach and I have not seen something like this. And this is the snap power guide light. So what is this? So, so this is, I think, the unique approach that these people take here versus other people, Dave. So, of course, lots of people make devices that if they detect motion or heat, um, usually a combination of both. I think it's mostly heat. They'll light up. And I bought some of those. And I actually had some of those in the house. And I still do. And if they see something, they'll, they'll light up LED and uh, they'll make sure that, you know, you got light so you don't crash into things and hurt yourself and, and, and sue John. Um, this is a unique approach in that these guys at Snap Power, their guide light, and you've probably also seen that people make entire plug assemblies or entire outlet assemblies that do this. Here's where these guys are cool, Dave, in that it's a faceplate. And you may ask yourself, how, how is this possible? How could you just do it with a faceplate? Well, not many people know this, but 
included within most standard outlets. They have little uh, connectors on the sides that provide voltage that you can use. And that's what these guys in their extreme cleverness have utilized in order to provide the guide light. So I don't have to take the outlet out. I just unscrew the faceplate and pop this thing on. Correct. That's awesome. um, You probably want to turn off the power when you do this. I would. And they certainly recommend that. I see why their lawyers Um, would, because they don't want me to sue them like I would sue you, right? Right. You may have some reckless individuals like me who did not do that. I I definitely would not do that. That's right. Yep. But I understand why you'd want to. So all I'm going to say is for people that are going to do this, um, the the best practice is turn off the power before you uh, fiddle with the 120 volts. Makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And basically I unscrewed the, after turning off the power, right, right. Um, I unscrewed my old faceplate, put in the new faceplate. I actually did replace my plug later on because the prior owners of the house had painted over it. And it's like, guys, what's wrong with you? So, but anyways, you, you put it in, it provides three very nice, bright LEDs. Uh, it has a light sensor so it can tell between day and night. And when it's night, it has, and, and you saw it, Dave. I mean, you were able to use it to properly navigate my house to, to get to the little engineer, little podcaster's room. So you didn't kill yourself. And, uh, so it's very smart. I, and we'll just leave it at that. That's right. I was going to say I made it through the night without needing to do that, but there's no reason to share oh. that in the show. So I won't wait. <laughs> okay. Um, and of course there are three LEDs. They're very bright. Uh, I mean, you're paying pennies uh, per year to light this. So, so I think it's a very clever approach in that you only have to replace the faceplate. $15 for one, uh, less dollars, the more you buy. Sounds good. But John, the nightlight, it's cool. And the concept of the way you install this is very cool, but it's not the coolest thing that they make, nor is it the newest thing. Cause that's been out for about a year, but they just came out with something new. And I want you to tell us about that now. Oh, all right. Uh, I will tell you about that as well. Okay. I didn't realize it was newer. Um, Cause I had not seen these guys before. I saw them for the first time. So they gave me one of these as well. And they call us the snap power charger. Very similar in concept. It's a faceplate. You don't have to replace. And and if you've been to Home Depot or other places, and I have been, you'll see plenty of people that offer outlets that have integrated USB charging ports. These guys, again, they kick it up a notch. It's a faceplate that, again, ties into the 120 that's already offered by your outlet. And it offers a USB charging port at the bottom. Now, it's a one amp. Currently, the current product, it's a one amp charging port that is enough. Okay, because I plug, I, you know, at first I asked them, well, what about my iPad and stuff? They're like, yeah, it'll charge it. You know, it's not, it's not two point one amps, and and I guess this is to, and I think you have some more info on this, Dave. But the the thing is, there's a, I think a misconception that some devices won't charge with the iPad unless they're two point one amps. Um, but now this the iPad will charge. It won't charge with the screen on if it's less than a certain number it's it doesn't have to be quite 2.1 it can be less than that and the ipad will still charge with the screen on but if you're if you're down at one or below one amp uh the ipad will say not charging when the screen's on but just turn the screen off and you know then, then right. it will charge well, in my slowly. Te- in my brief testing uh with the screen on yep. i did see the the charging nice so they offer uh and and i talked to them so i think they offer enough above so officially they say it's a one amp charger but i think they offer enough above that. And I think they suggested that where it, it should, well, they say in their documentation uh, and you can look, they have a very good FAQ. And, and I think they are thinking about a 2.1 amp product at some point, but here in, in the interest of releasing a product. Um, and the nice thing about it, Dave, is that before in this outlet, I had a product that 
was kind of a cover that would cover and shield one of your outlets and then give you two USB ports instead. This gives you your two outlets plus a USB charging port. Uh, nice. So the Snap Power hey, Charger, so I have twenty dollars. I have a question for sure. you about this. Uh, is it UL listed? Because I, th- there's an issue with providing a 2.1 amp charger in an outlet enclosure that keeps most people from getting them UL listed. So I wonder if that's if that's what's going on here. I mean, there is a safety concern with the heat generated by a 2.1 amp transformer that may not fit into an outlet and and still get it UL listed. So, um, according to their FAQ, uh, the charger is UL and CUL approved. Okay, so that that's probably why they're not 2.1 amps. They 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 probably haven't sorted out how to deal with the heat for that. I don't know that anyone has. Hey, so uh, all these chargers require cables. I um, I recently got a chance to check out cables from, an, uh, I, th- I believe it's a new company. It's certainly new to me called Fuse Chicken. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> F-U-S-E-C-H-I. It's Fuse Chicken. I'm not going to spell it um, because it's chicken. These are reinforced flexible steel cables that they use for all kinds of things. Uh, they've got a tiny little one called the Titan loop, which could loop around your keychain. They've got one that plugs into the side of your, you know, it's it, a USB cable that would plug into your, uh, either your, your laptop or your, your iMac or even in your car. Right. But these things are strong enough that the cable it's flexible, but it's not limp. Right. So you can bend it into the shape you want and then charge your phone. And it'll hold your phone up. Uh, some of these will. The bovine will, right? Because it's got some, it's got like a little uh, support for your for your phone on it. They also just make a Titan cable, which is the same flexible steel, but a regular cable, not enough to hold your phone up. But you ever have a cable that you plug into an outlet and it dangles down to the floor? No longer with the Titan, right? You can just bring this thing up and uh, wrap it. I, I have like one wrapped around our kitchen counter. It's up. The plug is underneath the counter, but the cable comes up and just sits there and it won't fall off because you, you, you know, you put it up on this thing. It's pretty cool. They've also got a, uh, but I guess their bovine series are the ones that hold devices up on, on the cables, not just the cable, but hold the devices. They've got one for the watch too, right? So you put your Apple watch charger in this thing and it, it sits and you can kind of bend it and flex it and whatever orientation you want, including nightstand mode. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, you got to check this out. Their cables, you know, the, the, the one for the, the computer is 35 bucks. The car one, it's the same one as the computer, but it comes with a, a couple of clips to keep it from uh, kind of wobbling around in the car. And so that adds five bucks to the, the cost. The one for the watch is only 25 bucks and it creates actually a really kind of nice minimalist steel watch stand, which is cool. So you got to check these things out. It's um it's fun. I'm not sure about the name. Again, it's Fuse Chicken. So, you know, there you go. Fuse Chicken. Check it out. You got one last one for us, John? I think I do. So these were some folks that we saw at um, Get Geek, Dave. Yep. And uh, we both got handouts. And, and I think this one, I think this is a keeper for me when you're on the road. So it's called the My Charge Amp Prong Plus. What is this? It's a device that lets you charge what is cool about it i'm going to tell you what's cool about it so number one 
You know, a lot of chargers, Dave, the thing is you have to charge them with other cables like USB cables and stuff. Isn't that a pain in the neck? Wouldn't I, it be nice if the charger had plugs in it? I hate that because most chargers don't have lightning ports because Apple has only recently started certifying chart, you know, people to use lightning ports like that. So you have to have a micro USB cable with you to charge yeah. your battery pack. And that sucks. Okay. So this device, the cool part is it has, um, at least for us, I'm not sure about international, but it has integrated wall prongs. So you basically flip them up, you plug it in the wall. That's how you charge this thing. And actually I did some testing, Dave, so this is a 6,000 milliamp hour portable charger. Okay. And in testing in my house, Dave, it took about four hours to get it from dead to a full charge. That's pretty Which, good. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's a, a hey, good for me. And 6,000, 6,000, Dave, from what I recall, is probably enough. And, and then what else does it have, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you what else. It has two USB ports. They are both 2.1 amp USB ports. If you want maximum throughput for your high current devices like your iPad, that's cool. It also has a little button on it. And what happens if you press the little button? The little button lights up uh, an array of LEDs, one through four LEDs, which uh, tell you how much charge is in it. And also when you're charging it, it will blink these LEDs and tell you how far along it is charged, which is why I can tell you it took four hours. Um. And I think that's really about it. I, awesome. uh, I, I plug two devices in, and I think 6,000 is probably enough. At least my iPad air, Dave, I think the iPad air is about 6,000 no, milliamp hour I battery. It's like 12, right? Uh, check again. Uh, I, I, maybe, maybe I found the wrong info, but I thought the iPad air, I, at least iPad, the one I have. The original iPad air is 8827 and the iPad air oh, two okay. is 7340. So we were both wrong. Okay. All right, so this will get you most of the way for for an iPad uh, and more device. more than double uh, whatever your iPhone needs, even if it's a plus oh, sure. model iPhone, and probably triple what your iPhone needs if it's uh, if it's not the plus model. So yeah. right, so uh, so I think uh, I I had not yet seen a device that has a built in uh, you know thing where you can just plug it in the device itself into the wall. That's really cool. cool. Retail yeah. retail price forty nine. 99 see that's where batteries should be priced man that or less i think it's great hey i got one last one for us folks and all of these things that we've mentioned have been uh not free and this one is free so i gave a presentation on tuesday night in princeton new jersey uh you know teaching people actually we were, the, the subject was el capitan and i wanted to make things interesting actually i i didn't even think about making things interesting until my son told me about this website that he was using in school. And then I thought I would make things interesting. So at the end of my presentation, I gave away a Seagate seven hard drive. Yeah. Those cost money, but they're seven millimeters thin. It's actually really cool. 500 gigs, seven millimeters thin. Hmm. Yeah. But I gave one away to the winner of a quiz. So at the end of my presentation, I used a website called Kahoot.it, K-A-H-O-O-T dot I-T, to do a 10-question quiz. I got to build the questions. I could have done more or less than 10 questions. It's not limited to 10. Uh, my, my son was using it in school. His teachers were, were using it. And I thought, well, what a cool thing. And so I, I created my own questions. Uh, they were multiple choice. I could pick, you know, I create my own four answers. I could have more than one correct answer for a question. 
it keeps score for you. And the way it works is I put the test up. I created the test ahead of time. And then I put the test up on the, uh, you know, on the, on the big screen. Cause we had a projector going and everybody in the room was able to join by visiting kahoot.it and typing in the, the unique ID for my test. And it was like a six digit number that just pops up and they could type their name in. So there were, you know, whatever, I don't know, 50 people in the room or something doing this test. They could access it from their iPhone or their Mac. And, uh, if you, obviously you'd have to get the answer correct to get any points for it, but the faster you answered, you got points. So even if two people got all 10 of them, correct, one of them was bound to answer, answer, you know, slightly faster overall than the other. And that was the person that won. It keeps score for you. It does all of this son, all of this stuff. So it, it's built for doing quizzes like this. Like I said, my son was telling me about it uh, just a week ago as I was thinking about this presentation, I thought, wait a minute. I can do this. And then, you know, at the end of a presentation, people are usually a little bit, you know, distant and drifty and maybe they've been checking their email or whatever. Well, this is a way to bring them all back around and kind of make it fun at the end. So Kahoot, K-A-H-O-O-T dot I-T. That's, uh, that's, that's all I used and it was totally free. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It was fun, John. You know, it keeps things interesting. <laughs> See, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it, does it know, have a buzzer if you get it wrong? Well, it, I mean, you've got more than one person in the room doing the test, so no, it doesn't tell you whether you got it right or wrong uh, until either twenty seconds have gone by for each question, or once everybody has answered, it brings you along and uh, and and shows how many people in the room got it right, and it shows the score as a running total. It shows you the top five, so you know if you're. You know, if you're uh, in the running for possibly winning and you can kind of keep things up, yeah, it's really right. cool. Yeah, people seem to love it. I got actually quite a few emails about how much they liked, you know, having that happen at the end. Because it does. It You know, after whatever, even even a 30-minute thing. And I think mine actually went more more yeah. like 45 or an hour. I, you know, it's good. Yeah, I just like the concept of either a, a buzzer or maybe sad sad trombone, you know. Wow, wow, wow. I like no? that. No, I'm gonna say. No, actually, that. Gonna I gotta, that. I gotta say, I gotta say to be positive, you should only celebrate success and not failure. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of philosophical here, but um, I'm gonna be not philosophical, Dave. I'm gonna talk about how you can get in touch with us, but I'm not gonna mention how you can email us because we already talked about that. We did but, that. But there are other ways you can get in touch with us, Dave, and I think one way is. You pick up your cell phone, your telephone, a can with a string attached to it that's attached to a telephone, and you dial us on the phone at 206-666-GEEK-DAVE, which is 4335. You can also visit us. Facebook is the best place to get your questions answered because you can go there and not only are John and I monitoring it, but all of your fellow listeners are monitoring too. The best way to get there, macgeekgab.com slash Facebook. That'll redirect you to the wacky Facebook URL for our community. Highly recommend you check it out. Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. I want to send our thanks to them. They provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, of course, includes, as we mentioned in the show, Barebones software at barebones.com. Harry's at harrys.com. Shave five off is the coupon code to get the, the uh, five bucks off. Otherworld Computing at macsales.com. Linda at lynda.com slash M 
GG for 10 days free. Gazelle.com, of course, to sell off your old iPhone now that you got a new one. iMazing.com, coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Smilesoftware.com slash geek to see all the latest deals there. Squarespace.com with coupon code MGG saves you 10%. And of course, TunnelBear at TunnelBear.com. MGG saves you 20%. John, I started this, you end it. What are the three words of advice? The three words of advice are don't get caught. Made up.